Hi, this is your host Corbin, and this is your guide for Brian Singer's Superman Returns. Before we get into the making of the film, allow me to take you back to 2006 to remember the top movies released that year. They were The Departed, which would go on to win Best Picture, Pan's Labyrinth, The Devil Wears Prada, Casino Royale, Cars, The Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, Night at the Museum, 300, X-Men The Last Stand, which we'll talk about here in just a bit, Monster House, a personal favorite of mine, Every Halloween, Fast and Furious 3 at Tokyo Drift, and many more memorable films for me personally from 2006. I watched all of these movies, and there was even more. From that year, we have reviewed The Prestige and Lady in the Water, and Rocky Balboa. Links to those reviews are in the show notes below. If you'd like to reminisce more about the films of 06, then head over to letterbox.com. Make sure to follow me and Alan over there. Links to our profiles are below. At the 78th Academy Awards, Best Picture went to Crash. Listeners, I am giving you a heads up right now. Buckle up for this production because we are really going to go into a lot. It's not just the behind the scenes stuff for Superman Returns, but it's also for all of the failed reboots of the franchise that happened between the end of Superman 4 and all the way up to this point because it had been 19 years and four days since audiences last saw a theatrical Superman movie. Now, Steel doesn't really count. We did. Re I did review Steel last week, which was a Superman spinoff film starring Shaq. That franchise was dead in the water as soon as it hit theaters. This, believe it or not, is a direct sequel to the Donner film. So essentially a sequel to Superman 2. So even though it had been 19 years since we saw the last Christopher Reeve film, it had been just a slightly over 25 years since Superman 2. So it had been a quarter of a century, a long time for somebody to come back and make a sequel to those original Donner films. Now, not, not the longest time. It's, it's been like 50 years or something since they did between the sequels for Mary Poppins. I actually have a list of longest time between sequels. Um, I'm going to link to that below so you can check out that list and see all the all these sequels that took, you know, decades to make. But as I said, buckle up. We are going to really go into how Superman Returns finally returned to theaters after two decades. If Brian Singer sounds familiar to you, that's because he brought the X-Men to life on the big screen, directing the first two X-Men films. One of the producers of those films, Lauren Schuler Donner, just so happened to be the wife of Richard Donner, who directed the first two-ish Superman movies. Listen to those guides, especially the one for Superman 2. Didn't really direct that movie. Naturally, Singer met Donner and pitched him an idea for a Superman sequel to at least Donner's first film, and would definitely ignore the events of the third and fourth Reeve installments. And of course, definitely ignore Supergirl and hold zero continuity to Steel. Donner loved the idea and gave him his blessing, despite Singer not having the rights to Superman whatsoever. In a bonus feature, Singer stated that he could not make Superman without Donner's blessing. This is probably due to Singer seeing Superman as a child in his New Jersey theater with his mom and just being blown away and that being one of his main inspirations for becoming a filmmaker. This also opened the door for Donner to return to Superman 2 since Singer would dig up all the old archives, allowing Donner to finally realize his vision for that film. This wet Singer's appetite to pitch Warner Brothers his idea for not just another Superman movie, but a sequel in continuity with at least part of the Reeveverse, which meant he would have to abandon the X-Men franchise, thereby not delivering his vision to cap off the trilogy. But before we go any further, we have to rewind to 1995. Yes, there was plans for a Superman 5 starring Reeve, we talked about more about that two weeks ago, but Warner Bros. did buy the rights to Superman from the Salkins after their successful Superboy TV show ended. Jonathan Limkin, who wrote the movie Shooter and 21 Jump Street TV series, wrote a screenplay involving Superman dying at the hands of Doomsday, which we have now seen theatrically. His soul would inhabit Lois Lane to produce their son, who would be reincarnated as Kal-El. The screenplay was titled Superman Reborn, but Warner Brothers wasn't crazy about it, so they had Greg Pior, who would go on to write The Spy Next Door, a National Treasure Book of Secrets, write a new script involving Brainiac creating Doomsday and a lot of other crazy stuff you can read about online. 
WB did like the script, but they wanted Kevin Smith to rewrite it. Smith wasn't crazy about the script, hence his own now infamous script, Superman Lives, which was to premiere in 1998. John Peters, who was overseeing any new Superman film at Warner Brothers, mandated Smith write certain plot points, such as Superman not flying. Yes, shockingly enough, Superman had to fight a giant spider, and Brainiac had to fight a polar bear at the Fortress of Solitude. There's much more nuttiness to it. There's been documentaries made over Superman Lives you can go check out. Smith wanted Ben Affleck, who was his friend, to play Superman, Jack Nicholson as Luthor, and Jason Lee as Brainiac. Robert Rodriguez had to pass on directing since he was committed to the faculty, but none other than Tim Burton signed on to direct for $5 million, and Nicolas Cage accepted the part of Superman with a $20 million contract. I believe Nicolas Cage was such a big Superman fan that he named his son Kal-El. According to the book Burton on Burton, Burton explained Cage's casting would be, quote, the first time you would believe that nobody could recognize Clark Kent as Superman. Cage could physically change his persona. Now, bringing Burton on to do Superman is no shock since he had a huge success with Batman in 89, followed up with the still success of Batman Returns, and then by that point, he would hand the franchise off to Joel Schumacher. Kevin Spacey was actually approached to play Lex Luthor in Burton's film. Chris Rock had signed on to play Jimmy Olsen, and fingers crossed, Christopher Walken would play Brainiac. Oh, and Michael Keaton was involved in an unspecified, maybe wink-wink, Batman role. Much to Smith's ire, Burton hired Wesley Strick, who recently wrote Burton's Batman Returns and Martin Scorsese's Cape Fear to rewrite his script. After spending a year in pre-production, which Burton believed was a waste of time, he left the project to direct Sleepy Hollow, and WB decided to call it quits since they had already sunk $30 million without little to show for it, not to mention the budget was looking to balloon around $200 million. Scripts and directors came and went. Aspiring screenwriter Alex Ford did get his pitch Superman Man of Steel accepted by WB, but that too was eventually dismissed. At one point, Peters offered Will Smith the role of Superman, which he declined. With the new millennium came a revived interest in Superman. WB did find great success on the small screen, targeting teens and young adults with Smallville, an exploration of Clark Kent's years in Kansas. That show ran from late 2001 to mid-2011. Meanwhile, back on the big screen, Andrew Kevin Walker, Academy Award nominee for Seven, won WB over with his pitch for Batman vs. Superman, with Wolfgang Peterson directing. The following year in 2002, J.J. Abrams wrote his own script, Superman Flyby, which would be the first in a trilogy, completely separate from Batman vs. Superman. WB really wanted to go with BBS first, but Walker's script was far too dark for mainstream audiences. No surprise, have you seen Seven? So Akiva Goldsman rewrote the film under the working title, Batman vs. Superman Asylum. Peterson approached Christian Bale and Josh Hartnett to play Superman. Hartnett ended up turning down a $100 million three-film picture deal. Bale at the time was in talks to play Batman in Darren Aronofsky's Batman Year One, which we know never happened, but he was cast the next year in Nolan's film. Ironically, Hartnett turned down as well, which he's later stated as regretting. WB scrapped BVS to focus on the character's individual films, hence what we got as Batman Begins. In the opening scene of I Am Legend, Goldsman incorporates the BVS logo in Times Square, showing us an alternate future of what may have been. Abrams' script did begin moving forward with Brett Ratner coming on to direct. WB was eyeing a hard summer 2004 release date. The plot is fairly strange, actually, with Superman visiting Jor-El in Kryptonian Heaven. Christopher Reeve was project consultant on the film. He even pushed for Tom Welling, who was Superman on Smallville, to play the lead. But Matt Balmer was Ratner's lead choice for the titular role. Anthony Hopkins would play Jarrell and Ralph Fiennes would play Lex Luthor. Both of those actors had just worked with Ratner on Red Dragon, which Alan and I have reviewed. I'll link to our review below. Eventually, Ratner dropped out in early 2003. He ironically would go on to take over X-Men The Last Stand, which Singer dropped out to direct Superman, so they kind of switched. 
McGee, who was previously approached to direct but dropped out due to Charlie's Angels Full Throttle, returned to direct the film. He wanted Shia LaBeouf as Olsen, Scarlett Johansson as Lois Lane, and Johnny Depp as Lex Luthor. But the role ultimately went to none other than Robert Downey Jr. McGee ultimately dropped out due to various reasons. Apparently, one of those reasons was he was afraid to fly. Abrams lobbied to direct his own script, but Warner Brothers altogether passed him up and scrapped his script. And now we finally come full circle to Brian Singer, winning WB over to actualize his vision of Superman. Brandon Routh, a relative unknown who auditioned for Smallville, but of course, as we know, lost out on that role, was ultimately cast as the Man of Steel. When it hit theaters, Superman Returns was the first Hollywood full-length live-action film to be released in IMAX 3D. Now, oddly enough, not the whole film was in 3D, only segments of the film. So there were times where you would put on the glasses, but for a majority, you would watch it with the glasses off. A first since the original Superman returned to the Academy Awards being nominated for Best Visual Effects, along with Poseidon, but lost out to Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. Superman Returns did open on Wednesday, June 28th, 2006. WB purposely pushed it out for kind of that, you know, grand, long opening weekend time period. Superman Returns did open number one at the box office on opening weekend, which really isn't much of a surprise, but it's something that the franchise hadn't done, I mean, really since Superman 3, um, you know, way back when. Supergirl did technically open up at number one, but as for our Superman film, we talked about number four, opening number four, and then of course Steel came in at number 16, which is just abysmal, but it did come in at number one. Now, the budget for this film was absolutely massive at $270 million. It did open in 4,065 theaters. Warner Brothers was really, really pushing this as just a major, major summer release. And they even counted it as the really long 4th of July weekend. 4th of July would be that coming Tuesday, so almost a week after this film opened up. If you're counting just the weekend, it grows $52.5 million. If you're counting the long weekend, it's um, tad over $76 million, which is better. But I will say just for that weekend, and you know, if we count 4th of July, it's really just okay. I think for a $52 million on a $270 million budget, it did go up against The Devil Wears Prada, which came in about half that. Um, Click, the Adam Sandler movie, was dethroned to number three. Cars came in, dethroned from number two, came in at number four. It had already been out for a month by that point. And Nacho Libre was knocked from three to five, and it had been out for three weeks at that point also. Just for also a little comparison here, X-Men The Last Stand had been out for about a month and a half, and it was down to number 11 at the box office. Superman Returns only stayed number one just for that opening weekend. It was dethroned to number two, and then it just continued to drop in like increments of two to four by that point. It was dethroned by the mega blockbuster Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Man's Chest, coming in at $135.6 million. Disney just destroyed Warner Brothers. And in its second week, Superman only grossed $21.8 million, which is a bad sign that this movie is not going to perform that well at the box office. Now, this is just downright embarrassing and further verification, this movie is really going to get messed up at the box office because in its third week of release, it was already at number four, Little Man, which I'm sure nobody remembers anymore, only opened in 2,500 theaters. It came in at number two at the box office, which was a Wayne's Brother comedy. You Mean Dupree also had some big stars in that as well, Universal Pictures. That came in at number three. So Superman returns all the way down to number four, and it had already started to, it had already left 300 theaters by its third week at the box office, which to me is just spelling, eh, this isn't going to turn out very well. So what did it go on to gross overall? Well, $200 million domestically, which is disappointing, I would say $191 million in the foreign markets for a worldwide total of $391 million. Now, that's 
good. I would not say that's great considering this film had a $270 million budget. Also factoring in marketing and stuff. I would agree with Warner Brothers looking at these numbers. This movie didn't even exceed 400 million. 200 million domestically is pretty troubling for a Superman film. Now, it's, you know, not factoring in for inflation, of course, but it, it really is a, at least a positive numbers for the franchise as a whole. Now, audiences straight out of the theater did give the film a B plus, which is okay. I think that's a pretty mediocre thing. Superman movie really should be getting at least an A minus. So B plus audiences were like, yeah, it's okay. It's a fine movie. Critics were surprisingly pretty keen on it. A 72 meta score, um, third highest in the franchise, a 74% certified fresh. Had not seen the likes of these numbers since, once again, the first two films, but a fairly weak 61% audience score, which is still technically third highest, but that's just kind of the story of this is its third highest. Um, IMDb rating over the years has come down to a 6.1, once again, third highest in the franchise, but not close to the numbers of the first, and a letterbox rating of 2.5, which is straight up down the middle. Um, audiences on Letterbox seem to think this movie is just pretty mediocre. Um, it is, once again, third highest. Thank you listeners for coming along with me as I've been your guide through the production and impact of this film. Now that you have your guide to Superman Returns, make sure to subscribe to the podcast for my full review coming next Monday and tune in the week after as we take on The Man of Steel. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide.